Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. All right. Well, I thank God. I think, you know, I was praying about the message today, and obviously the one I've been working on for a couple months, I ended up preaching last week. And so I was praying. I was like, God, what would you like me to say today? Because I, I believe that when, when you preach, it shouldn't be something that's coming from you. It should be something that's coming from God, right? Because ultimately, what I have to say doesn't really mean that much. I mean, hopefully I have some good things to say, but what God is saying through me, that is what really matters. And as I was praying about it, um, God was putting some things on my heart as really a continuation of last week. I, I feel like it's kind of funny because in some ways this message almost should come first. But last week we really talked about uh, forgiveness and praying for those who are difficult. The Bible talks about praying for your enemies even. And so those who are a challenge in your life. And um, so, you know, those are two things, forgiveness and praying for those we don't really like. Those are difficult things. And in fact, one of the things I said last week is you really can't do those without God. And so today, we're going to talk about pursuing God and about unity among believers. So I'm going to start with uh, Psalm 100. And this one, it kind of seems a little bit odd at first for the theme of unity, but we're going to circle back to this near the end of the message. And you're going to see why this is so important. This is a psalm I learned as a child, and it's still one of my favorite psalms today. It's a song about giving thanks and praise to the Lord. So Psalm 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Isn't it great that we serve a God that is worthy of praise and adoration? Like, think about that. Like, we serve a God who loved us so much that he came and died for us to bring us into a relationship with him so that we don't have to be separated from him. Unity is the entire purpose of the cross. You know, I think it's, it's, it's easy to kind of look at unity and, and kind of discard it a little bit as Christians. Uh, there's a lot that keeps us from unity as a body of Christ today. But why did Jesus come and die for us? Why did God send his son? It's to unite us with the Father and with each other. You see, that barrier of sin that we've all experienced, that separates us from God. The Bible says your sin has separated you from your God. But Jesus dying for that sin, to pay that price, wipes that away so that we can be united with Christ. So what are the things that keep us from unity? Obviously, we said sin, but I think we can look at kind of some specifics You know, we talked last week about forgiveness. Forgiveness can keep us from unity. We talked briefly about gossip, but, you know, gossip can can tear people apart. Gossip can create disunity when when you're talking, especially when you're talking negatively about other people. 
um, you know, talking bad about others and, and, and disparaging others. There are so many things that can keep us from unity. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 here. All right. It says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now, there's a few things in this passage, I think, that are really important. First of all, clearly, we're not supposed to talk bad about other people. You know, I think that's, that's very obvious. But one thing that, is, that really kind of stood out to me here is that what we say about other people can grieve God. Think about that for a second, because, you know, very few of us, when we're thinking about God, we don't think about God being grieved by us, right? It's like, well, God is, is perfect, and he's all-powerful. Like, you know, it, it almost, sometimes it seems like God is removed from emotion, but that is not the case. We are made in his image, and God can be grieved. Um, this talks about how, you know, when we slander others, God is grieved by it. And it makes total sense when you think about it, because we are made in his image, and we are children of God. And, you know, as a parent, if I hear somebody talking bad about one of my kids, it doesn't really matter whether it's true or not. That grieves me. It saddens me to hear that. And yeah, there may be some truth in it, but that doesn't really make it any better, right? That, that kind of makes it a little bit worse. It, it, like, there's a grieving process in that. Yeah. I have been reading uh, a book about unity this last week. Um, if anybody is interested in learning more, this is a fantastic book by uh, Francis Chan, and it's called Until Unity. And one of my favorite uh, phrases that one of my favorite sentences in the book that really just kind of hit me like a truck and made me realize, like, I am guilty of this. I need repentance myself, is this, I'm just going to read this sentence. It says, every unkind word I have ever said about someone was a word heard by God about his child whom he loved and made in his image. Think about that. Every unkind word I've ever said was something that God heard about his child that was made in his image, and he loves. And, you know, for those parents out there, you can just imagine when you hear people saying that about your own child. And, and it really made me realize, like, I am, I'm guilty, right? Like, I'm guilty. If you've ever said something and you're like, oh, I wish, uh, like, I, I hope they'd ever hear that I said that. That's, you are guilty of that, right? Like, and I think we've all been there. We've all said things that we probably wouldn't have said to someone's face and, you know, that maybe weren't out of love towards other people. And so, like, what do we do about this, right? So First uh, John 2, 9 through 10 says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. This is a powerful 
and a little bit of a condemning passage. It's like, hey, if you hate somebody in your life, if you hate a brother or sister in Christ, if you hate somebody in your heart, the light is not in you. Something is wrong. We need a Savior. We need something to change how we are approaching this. So when there's division and there's a fracture, who is at fault? I think the first thing that we tend to do in our human nature is point the finger, right? Well, they did this. They didn't do this. I just think about it in our churches, right? Like, we look and we say, well, their theology isn't right, and I don't want to associate with them because they did this thing, and it was awful, and, and there's so many things you can point the finger and say, they, they, they. But have you looked at your own heart? Don't assume division was caused by someone else. Revivals start with repentance. Okay, I'm not saying they didn't do anything wrong, because probably they did, but that's not where you are supposed to look. I've got a little secret for you, for those of you who keep looking at others. You can't make other people do what you want. I don't care how hard you try. When I was a kid, I, I had three younger brothers, so we have four boys, okay? And uh, we were old enough to be left at home, uh, you know, hope, responsible enough to be left at home. And I remember one time my parents had gone on a date or something, and my brothers and I were playing, and we were in the living room, and... Uh, we were throwing something. I think it might have been pillows. And we were throwing the pillows back and forth, just having a good old time. And I remember I threw this one pillow, and I think maybe my brother ducked, and it hit a lamp, and the lamp broke, and it shattered, right? And I knew we were in trouble, <laughs> right? Because we weren't supposed to be throwing things around in the house, and, and the lamp is broken. I'm like, oh, man, what are we going to do? And being the strategic thinker that I was, I, uh, I gathered my brothers together, and I said, hey, guys, I think I've figured out a way where we won't get in trouble. And they're like, okay, okay. And I said, all right, when mom and dad get home and they find this broken lamp, they're going to ask, who did it? And at that point, we should all say, I did it. And that way, they can't punish all of us because they're going to realize, okay, we are, you know, we're owning up to this and we all say we did it, so it's not going to be bad, okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And, and my parents get home. And my parents find the lamp, and they said, who did it? And I will never forget, I raised my hand and said, I did it. And they said, he did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Learn to, learn to trust your siblings, right? <laughs> but the point is, you can't make people do what you want them to do, no matter how hard you try. Psalm 139 23 through 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, this is saying you need to start with yourself and you ask God, test me. See what I'm missing, right? We all have blind spots. It's saying, God, test me and show me what I need to work on. You know, the Bible talks about how God is the author and perfecter of our faith, and he is making us more and more perfect like Christ. It says, be perfect, therefore, as I am perfect, Jesus said. And we are supposed to be striving for this, and not on our own power. We're asking God to refine us to be more like him. 
Luke 9, 23 through 24 says, um, oh, sorry, just, yeah. Luke 9, 23 through 24 says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. You see, that's what being a Christian is all about. It's about laying yourself down at the foot of the cross, at the foot of Jesus, and saying, God, I want your will for me. You see, our selfish natures are going to point the finger at others and say, it's their fault. And and that's a worldly thing, but it is a normal thing as a fallen person to say, like, the problem isn't with me. But what God wants is to say, no, like, I am giving up of my selfishness, and I am going to follow you. I'm going to lay myself down daily at the feet of the cross. And if this isn't something you've ever done with your life, I'm going to give you a chance to do that at the end today. But, you know, most of you, I hope, are in that process. But we are not perfect yet. We are flawed, and God is working in us to perfect us. And I got to tell you, your understanding of God is childish and flawed. I don't care who you are. You might be the greatest theologian the earth has ever seen, but your understanding with God, of God is not yet perfect. The Bible teaches us this. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 12 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. This is a, this is a mysterious but beautiful passage to me because this is talking about when we go to be with God in paradise, we will have a much more full understanding of who God is. And it talks about like a child versus a man, right? And I think this is a beautiful example of how we experience God today. We are like children. Now, children can have a pretty good understanding of something, but their fullness of understanding is lacking, right? I think about like my kids, like a four-year-old kid, a five-year-old kid. Imagine for a minute if you ask them, how does my car work? They're probably going to be able to tell you a few key insights that are accurate but incomplete, right? They might tell you, well, you have a key and you got to put the key in to start the car. And you might, they might get as far as like you have to put the car into drive or reverse and then you push on the pedal and it goes and then the other pedal stops it. Like maybe if you're lucky, you're going to get that far, right? And they might tell you about the steering wheel turns and, and, and they're like, that's how a car works. But they have no concept of how an internal combustion engine works, right? They have no idea about how there's a catalytic converter and how there is direct injection and there's explosions in the engine that turn these pistons that, that go to a gearbox that, that you know, changes everything into power for the vehicle to turn the wheels and to make it go and how you need fuel and oil and, and you know, all these things. And maybe you're in an electric car and how the battery works and the voltage works with the chemicals and, and that sends that to some magnets that, that power up this motor and turn it and get your car going. It's like there is so much to know about a car that a child has no chance of fully understanding how a car works. And as complicated as a car is, 
our God is infinitely more complex. And he loves us in a way that is hard to grasp and understand. And I think it's super important to remember that those other people that you're looking at that there's a division with and that maybe you don't see eye to eye with, he loves them just as much. And, you know, I think this verse is beautiful because it really makes sense when you put it into perspective of a child's understanding versus an adult's. And that is how it will be when we get to heaven. We're going to realize how incomplete our view was. I've heard it said, there'll be three surprises when you get to heaven. Um, And this wasn't one in my notes, so let's see. Three surprises when you get to heaven. You'll be surprised at who isn't there that you thought would be there. You'll be surprised at who's there that you didn't expect to be there. And then you're going to be surprised that you're there. Right? I think that's a good way to look at it because it's one of those things where God has a relationship with us and we're saved through that, but our understanding is imperfect. And so our goal is to be pursuing Christ and laying ourselves down at his feet. Now, a lot of people equate knowledge of Scripture and knowledge of God as what's important and with, with wisdom and maturity. And I've got to say, the Bible has some fairly harsh things to say about that. Knowledge isn't bad. You need knowledge, and it's important to pursue knowledge, but you need more than just knowledge, okay? Because knowledge uh, can actually make you immature and prideful. 1 Corinthians 8 says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. You see, knowledge is only good when it comes with love and grace. Another sign of immaturity is a lack of grace. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and forever. So think about it like this for a second. If you have knowledge without grace, it's a lot like taking a dessert menu from a restaurant and and studying a dessert on the menu. Let's say it's a, a chocolate cake, right? And you're studying it, and you look at it, you study it and everything, and then you try to describe it to somebody else. That description is never going to be as good as the person who takes a bite of the chocolate cake and describes it, right? And that is a lot like grace in our life because you can't be filled with grace without experiencing it. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, I don't care how much you've studied Scripture and how much you feel like you know God. If you don't have love for others in you, then is Christ really in your life? Because this is what, this is what Scripture is all about. Remember, Jesus said the greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. If you are pursuing Christ and you have that relationship with him, love should flow through you and pour out of you. I'm going to circle back right now to the, the beginning here with Psalm 100 and glorifying God. Um, you see, I've been looking at, I've, I read this book this week, and it has just been a really great eye-opener. There's so much more depth here um, as far as unity in the church. And I've been thinking about, like, how could I sum up the first few pages 
of this book, because I think they're so good. You know, sometimes you read something, and you're just like, you know, the Holy Spirit kind of speaks to you and says, this is it. This is right. This is where you need to be looking. And God did that with me as I was reading this. And you know what? I was just like, you know what? I just need to read the first couple of pages here because I think God has something to tell you in it. And I just think it's so good. All right. So if you bear with me for a couple minutes, be honest. How much time did you spend praising Jesus this morning? Asking for things doesn't count. Just reading a passage of scripture doesn't count. I'm asking, how much time did you spend staring at him and telling him how amazing he is? We were God's enemy, destined to face his wrath. Let that sink in. Jesus was tortured on the cross to appease the wrath of God. Does that truth still move you? You are now reconciled with God and adopted as his child. How do we go a day without praising him for this? God now abides in you. Don't just give this a head nod. Marvel at this. Put this book down and worship him. You are breathing now because God is giving you breath. Use your next breath for its intended purpose. Bless him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Psalm 103.1. We can't start our days without praise. We are commanded to rejoice in him always. There is nothing you have to do today that is more important than worshiping him. If I'm not wise enough to start my day with praise, why should anyone listen to what I have to say? If I am foolish enough to forego praise because my mind is needed to fix problems in the church, then I'm more of a problem than I realize. Our lack of praise may actually be the biggest cause of our divisions. Once we stop worshiping, all hope for unity is lost. This is what unites us. We can't stop talking about the treasure we have in Jesus. It's hard to start an argument with someone who is on their knees shouting praises to Jesus, especially when you're busy blessing the Lord as well. Many of our problems could be reconciled if we discussed our concerns on our knees before a holy God. We can't allow the enemy or our enemies to interrupt our praise. Worship is our path to unity. I just thought that was so good because the way we are united is by becoming more like Christ. You know, no matter how hard we try to do the right things, we are going to fail unless Christ is in us and working through us. I'm going to come back to Psalm 100 here. I read this at the beginning, and I'm specifically going to uh, talk about the latter half. Verse 4 Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now, one of the things that's so neat about this passage of Scripture is that it is talking about physically entering into the presence of God. You see, this was written in the Old Testament back when they had a tabernacle or a temple, depending on the time, right? And... It's literally saying the gates of the temple or tabernacle, that was the outermost area um, geographically of where you started to enter into the physical presence of God, right? He was, God, we, we know, dwelt in the holy of holies in the middle of the temple or tabernacle. So as you're entering his gates, the command was, enter his gates with thanksgiving, 
And then the next step, the next uh, wall, kind of, so to speak, to enter in was the courts, the inner courts, right? And it says, and enter his courts with praise. Um, and so as we are approaching God, I think this still stands true today. Obviously, as New Testament Christians and believers, we know that God sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, but the concept remains the same. When we approach God, we should approach him with reverence and be thankful for what he has done for us, and then enter his courts with praise, and we should spend time giving thanks and praising our God. So as we wrap up today, I've got a couple challenges for you. First of all, if you have never made a decision to receive Christ, it's it's all about surrendering to Christ. And if you have made that decision, I just encourage you to take a little bit of time um, to focus on worship. I've tried to start making a daily habit of first thing in the morning to just praise him and give thanks to him for what he has done for me. And I encourage you, that's a great way to start your day. And now I'm not perfect at it, but man, it really changes my perspective for the day. And, you know, on a practical note, I think it's important to be careful what we say about others because we have to realize that God loves other people and they are his children. And, you know, we just need to figure out how to better show love to them with what we say as well. But I think it starts with pursuing Christ first. So we're going to go ahead and pray today. And uh, if you'd like to pray along with me, um, I'm going to talk about receiving Christ, but I'm also going to talk about how asking God to help us to pursue him with praise and thanksgiving. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son to die for us. And um, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And Lord, today we confess that we believe in you. We want to lay ourselves down and have you to be Lord of our life. We want to follow you with our life. And we just ask that you will fill us with the Holy Spirit today and empower us to follow you each day. And, and Lord, I ask that you'll help us to remember to approach you with praise and thanksgiving, to show you uh, the love that you deserve and to show you how much that we appreciate what you have done for us, Lord. And help us to do a better job with that and to do a better job with loving each other as you have loved us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like to know how you can give, go to victorychristian.church.